You may be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning, Reliance. It's good to see you this morning. Um, So there is rumor that next week is the day or the time in which the bathrooms will be done. So, uh, no, there's a chance that the men's will be functional as well. Um, uh, So, Lord willing... And his sovereignty, he could delay. So we uh, ask for your flexibility. Thank you for your patience through this. Um, yeah, when we expanded the sanctuary, that was a lot easier. We didn't realize that bathrooms, cutting concrete, digging holes, and all those things was going to be more difficult than, I mean, than this space. This is a much bigger space. You'd think this would be good, take longer than some stalls. But anyways, nonetheless, thank you for your patience through these times. Um, your discipleship process is almost done, having to wait through the whole service. Um, also in regards to that, today kind of marks the end of the season for us as a church in the sense that we are going to be concluding with Romans 11. I don't know if I ever had the chance growing up in the church, been able to walk through 9, 10, and 11. And as I was thinking about it, any passage that we come before, from my perspective, like, when do we get to come back and look at this again? It'll be a period of time. And as we walk through the scriptures, I recognize that leadership plays a role to help, like, strengthen the awareness and excitement that God is revealing in his word towards his people so that you might read it for yourself with joy. I pray that as we continue to learn about God's word, it's not just once learned and then left to be put on the shelf for years ahead and when the pastoral leadership once again preaches from it. One of these things in our tent here as Reliance Fellowship, as you know, is, is to stir our affections towards the scriptures convictionally. And this happens on Sundays regularly, we hope and pray. But that also takes place in your households as you consider these things for yourself regularly. I pray that we would not be like the people in Amos that warned there would be a famine in the land, but not of food, but of searching for God's word in our hearts and our minds. And I want to say, you know, I think we started this, as I stressed back then, this section of God's word in July. And if you remember with me, I had... Had, had experience through the theology of predestination that was often uh, negative. And so I've tried to go at a pace that is uh, not um, quick or rushed or tediously slow. One of my hopes is, is that we could come across these words and delight in them. And so I remember that last, that first introduction, I try to stress three things that I hope over the last two months you have come to realize yourself. I stress that when we understand the predestination of God, the theology of predestination, we realize that it reveals God's sovereign right to call and to harden. That he has, he, just as human, humans have free will, so does God, and he freely gets to exercise his sovereignty freely. We also recognize that while predestination reveals God's sovereign right to call and to harden, we also recognize that predestination stresses the impartial nature of God. He is saving not just the Jew. He is saving the nations as well through Christ Jesus. 
which has become something that we come to rejoice in, in that we do not live in Jerusalem. We live in tri-cities. And yet still the gospel has come to such a people as us. And we see the impartial nature that God, before the foundations of the world, sought to seek after us in Christ Jesus. And so while we recognize and we have come to realize in these chapters, predestination reveals God's sovereign right to call and to harden and stress his impartial nature of God. As we move on, and as has been stressed in this chapter, predestination unveils the divine mystery of our unity. If it is God who saves us, and if it's not by the basis of work that a man comes to know Christ or to be in right standing before God, but it's merely by the gracious call of God. This leads the church, as we will come to realize in Romans 12, 13 and 14, of our obligation towards one another. You don't have to look very far to see how short we all come in our own expectations of one another. But Paul would remind us, the fellowship that we have in Christ together was not the result of our own works, but the work of Christ. And according to that call, we will read things like, be devoted. And so as the world will interact with one one another through standards of morality, we recognize the central aspect of our fellowship and worship rests in the call which God has given towards his people and calling us to himself. Um, And so like I said, I hope you've seen these as we've gone through it. And today we will look at one last One last reflection of predestination. And I hope it would grip your hearts. Jared and I were working on the bathrooms together a couple weeks ago. And he remarked as a community, we've had to walk through COVID and predestination together. And now no bathrooms. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) I like the optimistic perspective. I don't know why it's this issue... Um, has become so harsh. In some ways, as a child, I remember reading the power of God put on display as he split the Red Sea and allow a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other side, or to read of David and Goliath and to hear how a boy could save a nation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeing the sovereign power of God to preserve his people even in the midst of the fire. Daniel Daniel in the lion's den, thrown in, and we see the sovereign power of God over all of his creation. And we in ourselves, when we see that power of God, delight in it. But why is it when the sovereign power of God, even over the hearts of men, which is pushed within and reminded and revealed to his people, why do we push back against it? Because I think there is this love for free will. But yet Paul has written these things in Romans 11.25. I'll read it in part. These truths are meant to be known and cherished by the beloved, the people of God. For he writes, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. It will happen that we as a people, as we will come to see, will once again see the incredible power and sovereignty of God and how he can change the hearts of men, even Israel. And I think that it's times as we looked this last week, we remember how special these are, these words, God's word are for his people. It's specific, as I talked last week, how evangelism, when we hear hear the term, we often think of it being something for the outsider, as Christ said himself, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
But we recognize even in Romans, Paul is eager to preach the gospel because he desires that the church hear it and that the good news of Christ is specific for the insider. And so he taught us last week, do not be arrogant with this calling that you have received. And that there are times throughout scripture that Jesus even himself practiced. He taught specifically for his people. Remember the parables? I call parables... Uh, you know, as parents, we, we're driving down the road. It's the secrets of how we communicate with one another. You lean over to your wife and you say, I w- do you want to go get some I-C-E-C-R-E-A-M? As the, young, or the older children learn to read, they're like, ice cream, right? Well, Jesus himself taught in a way, just as Paul has done in this chapter, which is specific to the people of God. And it should be cherished by his people. And Jesus did this, and he understood this tradition himself. And this is why the disciples came to him in Matthew 13, 10 through 11, and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. And here we see that term pop up again, brethren, to be I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. A mystery here is not some sort of riddle. But we understand this when it regards to God's word. It is the wisdom of God which further reveals himself to his people. And unless God himself said it, his people therefore would not have known it or understood these things. And so Paul, after laboring for three chapters, comes to this this heightened moment. You will once again see the sovereign power of our Lord. Our God, as we have come to realize, and I hope you understand, and even as we prepare for the table this morning, we have come to realize that our God does not merely sit in the heavens as many would like him to be, sitting in the heavens, unconnected, disengaged from the things on earth. We have come to witness, not just in these three chapters, but if you were to read any of his word, our God does not merely sit in the heavens. He interacts continually with his creation. And it's not just the Jew that realized that, but we have come to realize this ourselves. As Isaiah 45, 12 has already said, It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained their host. I ordained their host, the Lord has said. Woe to the man who reads these words, even those words in Romans, and keeps God, even in their private life or public life, merely in the heavens. For we have come to realize as it started when he started this section in 828. We know that God causes all things. And this is where the challenge has always been and where the Christian people of God have sometimes pushed God back. All things, does that include the heart of men? We wonder at how he could split the seas, but could we wonder and possibly give him credit? credit for having sovereignty even over the hearts of men 
Because he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What has been fascinating about walking through this section of scripture with you is that how it has harmonized itself with all of scripture. For we know, as Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Our God is not one who merely sits in the hearts or sits in the heavens. He actually controls the hearts of kings. And if he has the authority to control the hearts of kings, to have mercy upon whom he has mercy and to harden to whom he hardens, then what might be for those who are the peasants who are of lower position? For we have come to realize then in Romans 9, 9, as I review these things and we prepare for 11, it was God who demonstrated his authority creating a nation out of nothing. So he went to Abraham and Sarah and he said specifically to a barren woman in Romans 9, 9, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And you see the sovereign power of God demonstrating his authority in a barren woman's womb. I will create a nation out of nothing. And you have seen God demonstrate his protection and protecting Israel and providing them promises throughout of history. And he actually specifically directed through his power and his choice through whom the nation would be established. See, Romans 9, 10, and 11 ought to remind us the God that we serve does not merely sit in the heavens. He is interacting with his creation, dictating his, where his will will go. In Romans 9, 10 through 13, and not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, twins, having no moral effort, either good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. If you read the word, if you've read Romans 9, 10, and 11 with me, you have been introduced to a God who does not merely sit in the heavens. And if you've come to the conclusion that you hope in Christ, let us not be arrogant to think that we've done this ourselves. Paul, at this last section, says, if you don't recognize it now, you will see it one day again. And in a grand scheme, of God demonstrating how he can open the hearts of men and women to himself. And Romans 11 is, it's challenging, no doubt. Because when we hear words like Romans 19, 8, 9, 18, we, we wonder, is this true? Because we, on one hand, we know John three sixteen, and then in light of that, we read verses like this. He has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. God has the sovereign right to choose whom he delights in and to whom he hardens. And so we've come to realize that God causes all things. And if that means not just creation, that would also include the heart of men.
The things which we are not, have come to realize as, I think, Gentiles who have not inherited the rich history of Israel. Israel delighted in the salvation of God, which often would reveal itself physically. I've mentioned a few of them. Right? We rejoice in the hearts when we see God deliver people out through a Red Sea, the lion's den. Even we recognize that even how he preserved his people under Assyria and through Babylon, how God can preserve his people in a oppressed situation. We see the mighty hand of God. But when Jeremiah came along, as he began to preach, he talked about a salvation that was not just merely physical, but a a salvation to come that would also not just change the physical, but the internal heart. And I want you to recognize this, this promise said long ago that we have come to realize now in Christ that he gave to the nation of Israel, yet we have not seen yet take place. Jeremiah 31, known as the New Covenant. New Covenant. Our God does not merely sit in the heavens. And so he says, Behold, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with, my, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I want you to notice What you're about to read is to see the sovereign promise of God one day exercising his sovereignty over the hearts of Israel. I will put my law within them. Let me start at verse 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor or each man his brother, saying, knowing the Lord, for they will all know me. How? Because I have written myself upon their hearts, he has said. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will give their iniquity and their sins. I will remember no more. We read the Old Testament and we see the promises of God in which we see the physical salvation, but yet in Jeremiah we see a promise to come in which God will exercise his sovereignty over the hearts of Israel. I will. That rubs us the wrong way if we have not read Romans 9, 10, and 11. For we realize now the salvation of God is result of the call of God. And that he will have mercy on whom he has mercy and compassion upon whom he has compassion. That we now become, I think and I hope, thank you for laboring with me in the introduction. The grand reality which Paul says, Gentiles, you're merely in this thing by the grace of God, but wait. Yes, only a remnant has been saved amongst Israel. Romans 11, verse 5. In the same way then, There also has come to be at the present time, as he talks about Israel, a remnant according to the gracious choice. Romans 11, 7. What then? Gentiles, we got in. How did they, how are so many not responding among Israel? 
What is Israel seeking? It has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest God has hardened. And so when we read this section, something is happening that Paul wants us to realize. God is going to once again exercise his sovereignty in such a profound way. Read with me now. Romans 11, verse 25. Gentiles. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. God's not done yet. The God in the heavens does not merely sit there, and there is a day in which he is going to act once again. And with that, that leads me to the first point. There is a partial hardening. We've already mentioned this, and I don't want to labor too much on this. But Paul reminds us again in verse 25, why is it Israel today who has given so much from God, the oracles of God, the festivals to remember the works of God, why is it so many have not responded to the grace of Christ? Well, one, there's a partial hardening. For I do not want you to be, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened. To Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. We would have expected, with all the promises given to Israel read in the Old Testament, that when Christ died for sins, immediately he would have responded and turned to the disciples and fulfilled them. But God, rich in his grace, that what we've come to realize has hardened in the hearts of Israel so that Gentiles might become children of God. This is what we read when we read in Romans chapter 9 verse 25 as it says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people my people and her who was not beloved beloved and it shall be that in the place where it was said to them you are not my people Gentiles The reason why there's merely a remnant of Israel saved today is so that the Gentiles may be given opportunity and they shall be called sons of the living God as a result of responding in faith towards Christ. Our God is not a God who merely sits in the heavens. He sits and interacts with his people He hardens the hearts of Israel in order to open the opportunity for you and I to respond. And if you don't buy that, read Romans 11 again. Because Romans 11, 5, just as I have already read, in the same way then, there has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Why? Romans 11, 8. Just as is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. Like We marvel at the power of God's sovereignty, just as I have said, like any child would, and that God can save people through a Red Sea. Why is it we don't marvel that he can change the pagan Gentile's heart towards him? Feel in some ways I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you this morning. But if you would let theology take hold of your mind, it would change the way that you live your life and, and respond to the world in front of you. I remember sitting when we first moved here, 
at a coffee shop, and there was a gentleman talking about miraculous signs that they were seeing. And I love seeing God exercise his power, and we have seen that even in our midst here in Reliance, whether it be healing someone from cancer, whether answering prayers, whether someone was out of a job. I rejoiced with Jacob in faith. Jacob was praying for a year for a job, and then only to see God patiently make them wait to get the job that they would not expect it to receive. But I've seen that in you as well, merely as one example. It has been a joy to see God work. But, but what's more powerful than that that I hope that us as a people could realize, not just answered prayer, but that when God makes a hard Gentile's heart open to Christ, that is a mighty wonder. Jesus himself, when he went to his home country, hometown, and he performed miraculous signs, he marveled at their lack of unwillingness to respond in faith. Our God, when he has mercy upon whom he has mercy, it is the most profound grace that we ought to realize. And still to this day, he has allowed the hardening of heart to take over Israel so that he might soften the hearts until, verse 25, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Here's the warning. It's a limited time. God's opportunity for Gentiles to respond to the gospel is a limited opportunity until he knows the last Gentile who gets in. And when that door slams, God's going to exercise his sovereignty in such a profound way, the church among all creation will witness something profound. Point two, all of Israel be saved. People will ask, all of Israel be saved? That's what it says. All of Israel be saved. How many is that? Well, enough to encompass all. There will be a day we recognize today there's merely a remnant that is saved. Why does there only a remnant? Because the sovereign power of God which hardens the hearts of man or calls them to himself. But now we know that this hand rests over Israel until the time of the Gentiles fulfilled. And when he lifts his hands, what does Paul say? Better watch out. Because all of Israel will be saved and they will respond. Our God does not merely sit in the heavens. He is merely being patient with you Gentiles. And when the time is finished, and when he lifts his hand, you will see once again the most powerful sovereign God dictate the hearts of man even over Israel once again and causing all of Israel to be saved. Listen. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove. Who's going to do this? Moral effort of Israel? No. He, God, will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I, I take away 
their sins. I read it earlier, but I want you to read it again. In the Old Testament, it was promised, the prophecy was, I will save you. Physically, we see that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus goes to Lazarus' grave, we see the physical ability of God to save humanity from death. But what we come to realize also in Christ, that he is able to save the heart within as well. The affections of the individual, to change them in the mindset as we have read in Romans 8, to delight in God. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. This is my covenant. This is what I'm going to do. When the hand is lifted, when the time of the Gentiles is done, all Israel will be saved, and this is what I will do. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel all those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. The hand lifting up, and on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How did Israel, how will Israel become the people of God? Well, how did they come into existence? Was it there by their own will? No, remind you. It was through a barren woman at the age of 90 that God sovereignly showed his power and established the nation of Israel. And it's to these people that he says, I will save you. How? I will make you my people. I will be their God. Why? Because I made them. And they shall be my people. Verse 34. Our God does not merely sit in the heavens. And this is what Gentiles we ought to remember. They will not teach again. Each man his own neighbor, each man his own brother, saying, know the Lord. Could you imagine? Everyone will know. For they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Jeremiah 32, 38. God's gracious. He says it more than once for his people to realize They shall be my people. I will be their God. Who's initiating this? But God demonstrated his love towards you in that while you were still sinners. You have experienced a God who does not merely sit in the heavens. He has been gracious towards you. He has delayed his salvation upon the nation of Israel so that Gentiles might come in. When the hand lifts... He will fill his promises to the nation of Israel and it will become the benefit as well to the Gentile. They shall be my people and I will be their God, Jeremiah 32, 38. Verse 39, look at what he's going to do. And I will give them one heart. Man, that's salvation. If you struggle with sin, there is a day which is promised where God will sovereignly exercise his authority and your addiction will be gone forever. Your struggle with sin by the sovereign hand of God, do we not want a God who causes all things? That's what we want. Don't leave it. Don't push back against free will 
and rather enjoy the free will of God, which subdues yours. He'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always. The song we sing, prone to wander. We won't sing that, maybe in a historical sense. We once were prone to wander. Now we don't. I'm not a musician, I won't write it. (laughs) But that will be the song of the kingdom. Pray out long for those days. For their own good and for their good of their children after them. Their children after them will walk. Verse 40, Jeremiah 32. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will not turn away from them to do them good. And I will put, I will put the fear of me in their hearts. So that they will not turn away from me. There will be a day which you will sing because your heart has been made new. By the sovereign power of God who does not merely sit in the heavens. One more. Jeremiah 33. 8 and 9. I will cleanse them. Who's going to do it? If we've been through Romans, you know this. You know this. Who has saved you? Christ. So you have no opportunity to do what? Boast. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me. And by which they have transgressed me. Just like Israel, Gentiles, we fall into that same category. We are the transgressor. Yet God has exercised his sovereign call towards you. Verse 9. It will be to me a name of joy. Why is he doing this? Praise and glory before all the nations. There you are, Gentiles. All the nations of the earth will hear of all the good that I do for them, Israel. And they will fear and tremble because all the good and all the peace that I make for it. I don't want you to be, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, Paul writes. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. Don't look down upon the Jew... Because they haven't responded to the gospel. The partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. But when the hand is lifted, all Israel will be saved. And praise God when it does. Because at the moment, point three, we realize that God is being patient to us. You may have seen it when we looked at it last week. I skipped over it for for such a time as this. But Romans 11 has promised this. Some of this will be on the screen. Some of it just merely listen. Romans 11, 11, I say then, they do not stumble so as far to fall, Israel, did they? Nope, may never be. God hasn't let his sovereign power let them out of reach. But by their transgression, 
salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them Gentile, or to make them jealous, excuse me. Verse 12. Now if their transgression is riches for the world, for we have now received Christ, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? When the hand is lifted and Israel is saved, so will the benefits of the Gentiles receive those blessings. Verse 15. Here's the promise. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? When the hand is lifted and all Israel will be saved, and when we recognize that God has the right to exercise his sovereignty over the physical realm, raising up the dead, and over the spiritual realm, your very heart, that will be the salvation of God's sovereignty being put on display and that God does not merely sit in the heavens. He saves his people and is faithful to his promises. But he has merely waited now. So then right now, verse 28, consider this. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Right now, it looks like they're against us. Just wait. Wait till the hand lifts. Because why? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He hasn't, he hasn't said, okay, Gentiles, because Israel is unfaithful, you get all the promises. Like, that's a bad father that puts a Christmas present under the tree and writes it for Miley, but then be on because on the day in which there was something they'd done wrong and give it to Lincoln. That's, just, that's not how our God works. When he gives a promise to a people, he preserves that promise to his people. He has not extended it to give it to another people. Rather, his promises are irrevocable. So it looks like it that they are enemies but not from the standpoint of God's choice. For just as you were once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. We know these things. We've read these things. Verse 31. So they also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience. Remember in Romans 3, are we better than they? No. All are under sin. So that he may show mercy to all. The fullness of the Gentiles has come. When it comes, it is God's gracious patience showing mercy to the Gentiles. But when his hand lifts, he will be faithful to his promises and all Israel will be saved. Can I read you an Old Testament? Another one, one last one before we go to the table. Hosea talks about this day, but it's different with Hosea. Well, Jeremiah does it as well. But when he talks about the day to come in which God will lift his hand and save all of Israel, someone else is included. And so as we come before the table... Like, Jesus came physically. 
who is God with us, our God, as, as we've come to know theologically, but in reality as well, which our theology is real. Our God does not merely sit in the heavens. And this is what we remember. He interna- interacts with his people. Like when, when Mary was um, given the opportunity to bear the Son of God, it was the angel that said to Joseph, you will name him Emmanuel, God with us. And he has come and he has labored to reveal God himself to humanity that he's not a God that merely sits in the heavens. He's interacting with his creation and with his people. And Hosea reveals this reality. Hosea two eighteen. In that day, I will... You can read some of the Psalms. God loves to be known for what he does. I will make a covenant for them. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creepy things. Creepy things? Ew. Okay. And the creepy things on the ground. And I will abolish. Here's the kingdom. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make them, Israel, lie down in safety. I don't see that today. I mean, you just open the news every day. They do not have rest. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In loving kindness and in compassion. Man, that day has not come. There's merely a remnant who has responded. Not all of Israel. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. When he lifts that hand. And he softens the hearts. And all Israel responds. They will see it as a mighty act of God. It will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and to the new wine and to the oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. Now notice, all this has been for Israel. This is what I'm going to do. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, this promise, which was given to the nation of Israel, God promised that he's going to invite the nations to witness his sovereignty put on display upon Israel and the nations will come and delight in it. That's you and I, Gentiles. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Why? So this could happen. And when God lifts his hand, then it will happen. And all Israel will be saved. If you, we will, if we're patient enough, I pray that we would get to see that in our lifetime. By God's grace, because when it does, 
the end comes after it. And when the new heart comes in the heart of man, we will all declare together, you are my God. And so, with that all said, we long for those days. But in some ways, we recognize that when that happens, the time of the Gentiles is closed. Don't use your time flippantly. God knows when the door closes. And it's still to this day, we recognize that all Israel has not responded. So there's time to be faithful to the Lord in being his ambassadors and proclaiming there is a God who does not merely sit in the heavens. He interacts with his people and he has called us to recognize who he is. And so as we come to the table, we remember this. God, being rich in mercy, came and was willing and humbly able to participate in atoning for our sins so that we might know him. We recognize at Reliance Fellowship that this participation in the communion is a response of faith that is demonstrated in public profession of faith through baptism. And through that, we recognize as a people of God, we, for those who have done that, participate regularly together, remembering. Like if we were to choose who was going to be in the family of God, we recognize this family would look a lot different. But God chose it. And because God chose who's the people of God, we remember through the participation of what Christ has given to us in the communion, how we ought to treat one another. Not arrogantly, but with kindness. And so I pray that you would join and you, when the communion is handed to you, that you would wait so that we take it together as a family. For those of you who have not confessed Jesus Christ, I just ask you to pass on the table or participate in baptism. Just hand it off and talk to us about getting baptized. Because this is something that we remember. Our God does not merely sit in the heavens. He has caused all things to work together for good to those who he has called. Would you pray with me?